0: Welcome to Generously Speaking, a podcast series developed by Capital Development Services, where we hear from area philanthropists, foundation executives, corporate leaders, and others who share their experience, insights, and ideas on the nature of generosity and philanthropic giving. Here are your hosts, Alan Burroughs and Claire Jordan. I'm excited today to introduce Madeline McGee, president of Together South Carolina. Madeline joined Together SC in 2011. Prior to that, she spent over 20 some years in the not-for-profit community, both establishing startups and nonprofits like the Coastal Community Foundation in South Carolina that she actually ran for 10 years. We're excited to have her today to give us her insights and advice to the nonprofit sector of ways that they can improve the world. Madeline McGee, welcome to Generously Speaking.
1: Thank you, Alan.
0: Claire and I, and the entire CAPDEV team, thank you for joining us today and to offer your insights and advice from 30 years of working in the sector, the last almost decade, I believe, as president of Together SC. Love for you to describe a little bit about the organization Together SC.
1: Alan, Together SC is the statewide network of nonprofit leaders, like almost all of the states in this country. We are fortunate to have what we often call the Chamber of Commerce for nonprofits. Together SC has been around 23 years. We are about 800 members strong. What I love about the organization is the way we have been able to really expand it to include all of our allies for good. About three years ago, we changed our name. Before that, we were called the South Carolina Association of Nonprofit Organizations, a very technical name. And the reason behind that name change was because we realized that as nonprofit leaders, there were much more than the executive directors or even the program staff and fundraising staff or even our board and volunteers. We realized that our philanthropic partners The academic institutions that do so much for our nonprofits and groups like CapDev, our business partners, were all committed to doing good in our community. And we needed a place to bring all of them together. And that name change to Together SC, Allies for Good, made about three years ago, has been a wonderful way for us to create and build a more inclusive network.
0: Well, having seen your organization as long as I've been in the industry, I agree. And I think you've done a remarkable job of really bringing relevancy to the sector in the state of South Carolina. So thank you for what you guys are doing together as an organization, as allies for good.
1: Well, we couldn't do it without our business partners. You know, we're a staff of four. (laughs)
0: Okay. <laughs> you know, Amazing.
1: We depend on our partners and our allies. Our core values in our new strategic plan spell out peers because that is one of our strategies is to build peer-led networks so that people can learn from each other. We want to be the conduit that allows you to connect, such as our business partner gatherings that you've been a part of recently, and we greatly appreciate that.
0: Well, and you mentioned your staff and given the light of where we are and these difficult times of change and what's happening across the nation right now, how is your staff faring right now?
1: We've been virtual for a good while. With four of us and the state of South Carolina to cover, most of us work from our homes already. So we just had to take a webcam or two back to the house and laptops. And the United Way of the Midlands has generously given us space for Ben and Shane to work out of cubicles. And so we're not working there. We're out working out of our homes. I guess the biggest change is that I'm not in my Prius driving up and down the highways to see people. And our Zoom calls, like the ones we had this week, they help. It's important to be connected visually with one another. And I have missed seeing people.
2: Madeline, I think being on that business partner call this week with about 20 people in there was maybe one of the larger calls I've been on, but also really helpful in information we shared with our staff too.
1: Well, Claire, you know, the next day, you were our practice run, because the next day we had our philanthropic partners. Um, We have started with our United Way Association and our South Carolina Grantmakers Network. The three groups have come together, really for the first time in my career of working in South Carolina. And we started about a year ago uh, working on the census. And when the coronavirus hit and we realized that more was going to be needed, the three of us came together and uh, we have started weekly calls with our philanthropic partners. So on Wednesday morning, we had about 50 nonprofit leaders from Community Foundations, United Way, Private Foundations, Corporate Foundations. And then that afternoon, we had 90 on our call with our nonprofit leaders and Hainsworth Sinclair Boy uh, sharing the details of how the new um, Families First bill will be affecting nonprofits. Those two calls weekly. You know, throughout this experience, we will be doing those two calls.
0: Madeline, something you just said, too, and something I read from your website last night about the involvement of nonprofits. Your website states nonprofits will play a large role in determining the impact of COVID-19 has across South Carolina. Prepare yourself and your organization to lead in and through this event. Those are great words of wisdom and advice to the sector right now. What's your general advice? In addition to that, what's your general advice to the sector at this time?
1: You know, we don't get into this work unless we're optimistic, right? You got to believe that change can happen and change can happen for the good. I will say I'm going to share the advice that I got from one of our execs. We've been calling around, checking on people, trying to see how they're doing. The gentleman who runs a literacy Adult literacy training program said to me, if you like problem solving, this is a great time to be doing work. One of our core values in our new strategic plan is reimagining, you know, the innovation in the face of change. And when we put that into our core value statement, I never, ever imagined that the face of change would be the coronavirus pandemic. But my advice to everyone is reimagine, stay positive. How do we do it differently? I think we'll all come out stronger if we can take that approach.
0: We agree wholeheartedly. So specifically, how are you communicating this to your members and grantees? You've already mentioned some of the Zoom calls and conference calls. How are you getting that information across to the sector?
1: Oh, Alan, that's the hardest part of all this. You know, every day there are things you need to share. Yeah, we know what the email inbox does to us. It's overwhelming. So our communications plan at this point is for Good Connections. We'll continue to come out every other Monday. And we're adding a section on reimagining where we'll share the positive things people are doing. And we're adding a section on inspiration. And we'll have all the resources and particularly the ones our business partners are offering because this is a good time to be learning. Webinars and the chance to really be learning from home is a real opportunity. So we'll be sharing that. But we're also sending out once a week just a here's what you need to know. On the advocacy front, we are strengthening our network of advocacy allies so we can communicate to them in a more timely basis. We just submitted to Governor McMaster yesterday a letter from the South Carolina grantmakers, the United Way Association, and Together SC, asking his help with the state agencies and making sure that Contracts with nonprofits are maintained. We've already had calls from a couple of our members saying that their contracts have been put on hold or canceled. Mm-hmm. And we think that there are a number of regulatory changes that can be made to allow those contracts and those monies to continue to flow. In fact, sometimes our state agencies are a little lost beyond the 30 day remit, and we're really hoping we can get them to free up that money more quickly because, you know, in our sector, it's the best practice to have 90 days reserve. That's what we say. 90 days for operating reserve, you're great. Well, this is going to be longer than 90 days. And many of our members do not even have that kind of reserve. And who would have ever thought that you you would have had to cancel your major fundraising event, forego your program revenue all at the same time? The financial situation that our nonprofits are in, we're putting on the street a survey with the South Carolina Community Loan Fund, asking members to share just how much cash they've got, what they're saying about their uh, situation so that we can really tailor the financial resources to the needs of our members. But um, I think this is the tip of the iceberg.
2: Madeline, with all of the information that you all have been putting out and resources that you're sharing, you must be hearing a lot of feedback from all of the nonprofit organizations around the state. When you put all of that out, you hear the good and the bad and the struggles
1: and the opportunities. Any good stories? The good comes when I call. (laughs) (laughs) Or I read their newsletters, you know. And as I said, we're putting forward this reimagining section. And I think that the example of the Literacy Association, who is using this as an excuse to take their training online. And imagine how much better it's going to be for those constituents to be able to learn when and where they want and not have to show up Wednesday at four for that literacy class. Now, they've also got to figure out how to make sure those families and those individuals have the Wi-Fi and the equipment to take advantage of that. But if we do this right, it really could help alleviate some of the underlying inequities in our our community. One of the things that I, I remember so much from Hurricane Hugo, you know, I'm in Charleston and that happened in 89. And I came to the community foundation in 95, you know, so almost six years later, and we were still dealing with the aftermath of that. But what hugo and that hurricane did was to wipe away the cover that was hiding what should have been in plain sight which was the immense inequities in housing stock in our rural communities the fact that there were homes in 89 on Johns Island that were still without indoor plumbing was not a result of hugo that was an underlying condition that was there before When the house was devastated and people went in to say, oh, my gosh, we need to fix your house to realize the conditions of the housing allowed everything to be addressed. The statement I heard that
2: I like is how much this pandemic has exposed poverty and crisis that was already underlying that now we're seeing and the dependency on nonprofits as a result of that.
1: That so many children would not have food because our schools were closed. That is, is unacceptable. To me, the equivalent of the lack of quality housing that Hugo exposed is the lack of internet in our rural areas. In South Carolina, there are about 2 million households. Of that 2 million, nearly 10%, 193,000, have either no internet service or internet service that's insufficient to allow them to access the online programming that schools and other providers are making available. So that's nearly 10% of households in our state cannot do what you and I are doing right now. And think what the difference is to not be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. And if this is going to go on, you know, for three to six months, this internet connectivity is the difference in staying connected or not. And we need to get that Wi-Fi to those households as soon as possible. There's a big effort by the school districts to use school buses to put it in place in a temporary basis. I'm really hoping that several of the efforts to address that need will gain traction. People have been working on it for years, but no one's cared. I'm hoping this will cause people to care.
0: Well, this is interesting because you're talking about lessons learned in the midst of the pandemic now. We think about the lessons we learned from the Great Recession, and we are completely in agreement. We hope that we change behavior based upon what's happening from the lessons we learned so they become permanent and not temporary. That seems to be sometimes the case. They're only temporary because we come together, but then we fall back into the trappings of what we've done. Hopefully, the resolution here is that we all make these changes permanent. The role of the board in all this and what they can be doing right now, historically, what we've seen, Madeline, is organizations during times like these, board members that are engaged and work well, they survive and do well. It's organizations that boards sometimes are passive or not as active. What encouragement or advice do you offer the non profits on how best to engage board members at this time?
1: Let me start by talking about the position that I see many of our executive directors in most executive directors came to this work not because they loved managing people and had human resource expertise or that they love running financial analysis they came because they were passionate about the mission and the work and they believed the change was possible and most of our nonprofits of our members 80% have budgets under 750,000 few of them have an hr department or even a director of operations So this is a real opportunity for the businessmen and women on the boards to lend expertise. I know we all want that crystal ball right now that's going to tell us what's going to happen. But the next best thing to the crystal ball is scenario planning the ability to say, okay, there's not just one option, there are 25 options. And if this happens, then these options make sense. And if that happens, these options make sense. And how do I think through and be ready to make decisions along that sequencing as things happen? You know, If we are going to stay closed for another month, then what do I do about my employees? We're going to get virtual programming going, then what do I do about my fundraising? The ability of our boards to lean in and help provide the nonprofit professional leaders with counseling and technical advice and support that they need to do that kind of thinking. You know, we talk about the board's most important role is helping set strategy and vision. This is a different kind of strategic thinking, Mm -hmm. crisis strategic thinking. But in some ways, I think it, it could be more rewarding for the boards because the implementation is immediate. But there's no less need for that Strategic perspective and mindset in crisis management than there is in long-term planning. Crisis management needs as much of a strategic thinking perspective as long-term planning does.
0: Well, it's a phrase we've been using is "lean in," Mm -hmm. and I think you just said that as well because we agree totally. It's truly a time for board members can really offer their advice, their experience to an organizational head, as you said, came up through the ranks as a passionate member of the organization, program officer, what have you, and has. Probably never had the opportunity to attend an MBA program or something that gives them the management skills. But you have board members who do, and now's the time. We're talking to some of our clients about having weekly executive committee calls now during this time, as much as to offer advice, but to offer compassion as well and work with the AED in a sort of a consulting management role. How can we help them? Um,
1: so, a couple of things. This may not apply to other boards. Together SC's board is by bylaws 50% leaders of nonprofits. And we know that those leaders need to concentrate primarily on their own organization. And there may be other reasons that the people that you want to bring on your board, now is not the time. Mm -hmm. We're on a fiscal year that ends June 30th. So I would say to boards, two things. One, as the chair, I'd be talking to every board member individually to say, can you lean in? Can you engage now? Are there extenuating circumstances in your life that you need to focus on those priorities? And get your team understand your your team's individual situation, so you can customize your ask of them to what they're capable of doing. I am very very fortunate that the gentleman that we had asked to step up as treasurer will soon be retiring from a financial institution, and so it's okay to continue to lead. But I had to call him and say, "While your term won't begin to July one, I want to give you the chance to say." I can't do this work now. And if you are still willing to do this work, I want you to understand our situation now and be part of the planning now because for the next three months is the most important financial planning. It's not going to start July 1 when he steps in as treasurer. So confirm the ability of your board members to engage and at what level and give them an excuse if they can. Think about hunkering down with your core team. It may not be the right time to bring in new board members, even if that was what was planned. And third, make sure you have your leadership pipeline fully planned and engaged so that the leaders that will step in are being part of the decisions being made now so you have a continuity of commitment to those decisions. And it's never been a more important time to be a treasurer of a nonprofit organization. treasurers out there and the board chairs out there, please know that if this is the first time doing it or the first time doing it during a pandemic, we're here to provide you the resources you need to uh, think through how to do this job well.
2: I think that's all such good advice, Madeline. Thank you for all that. I think um, so many board leaders, board members don't even think to realize what a role they could play right now and how they could be helpful. You think of sometimes your board services, this is a volunteer job, this is something I do on the side. It's easy to forget that in the midst of all of this, whereas it's truly an occasion that we could rise to and make a difference. for the staff leadership and for ultimately the beneficiaries of the organizations. But I think so much of the need is personal. You know, you need another shoulder. You need uh, somebody's advice that's um, from a different perspective from outside of your organization right now. And that's a great source for it that not everybody thinks that they can do and they can.
1: I think sometimes our board thinks the best way I can contribute is to play the role of the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. That is an important perspective to ask the tough questions. But, you know, we have a guiding principles and best practices, just like North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And in that we have a, a clear best practices for boards and for board chairs even. And one of the things that I was adamant that we include when we wrote that is, you know, the board's responsibility is to hire the executive director and to evaluate the director. But I would also say that they are responsible for nurturing that executive director. And I chose that word very deliberately and with much discussion, in large part based upon the wonderful relationships I have had over my, as you said, 30 plus year career in nonprofits. And those board members who were able to ask the insightful questions, point me in the right direction, cheer me up when I was uncertain as to what was the right thing and and partner with me. I will go to my grave being appreciative of the work they did for me and what they enabled us to do as an organization. That partnership between board members and the senior leadership and nonprofit, you know, we like to say the board chair is the chief governance officer, the ED is the chief executive officer, and they've got each other's back. That partnership, and I'm a firm believer that the strength of that partnership between the chair and the ED is one of the greatest indicators of a nonprofit's likelihood for success. And I am absolutely certain that in a time as we face now, that relationship will be what gets many an organization through. As I said, our board chair will, a new one will step up in July. And she's already been on the phone with me three or four times this week, talking about it and preparing for it. And the comfort that gives me To know that she's there. And last night at the end of a very long day when she was calling to ask a question, I said, oh, my parents have called me five times. I've got to call them back. And she was like, go be with your family. Even that is such an important role for board chairs and, and the whole board to play. You also have the perspective of having sat in the foundation chair. So I'm
2: curious about your particular perspective on that related to how you advise nonprofits in this time that they continue those foundation relationships with their supporters.
1: Oh, Claire, that is a really important question and a good one. And I struggle with it. And I know from having been in that foundation chair that the world looks different there. There's a level of security that you don't have in most nonprofits, that you don't have to do the fundraising. Regrettably, sometimes that can blind us to the needs of, And there's the power dynamic between funders and nonprofits. It's a difficult one too. It is very hard as a nonprofit executive director to say to a funder, I'm not able to deliver on this programming that you gave me the grant for because, you know, the people we're supposed to help aren't able to get to the classroom we're supposed to do the programming in, yet I need that money desperately. I really think and hope that this is going to be a chance for that power dynamic to be evaluated and put aside. It's our goal as Together I See to work with our philanthropic partners to help do that. The survey that we've put out with Community Loan Fund, we've told our partners if you share this with your grantees and you ask them to put in as one of the sources your foundation name, then we can sort the responses, give you a, the picture for just your grantees while ret- retaining their anonymity. So you can know of your 24 grantees, how many of them have a reserve fund that's got more than 90 days cash in it. We're hoping that through that and our other services, we're enabling our nonprofits to speak honestly about the situation they're in to get ahead of the curve. You know, what's so scary is if you close your eyes to this and you just keep paying for what you're paying, primarily payroll, you suddenly wake up and there's no Plan and you're out of money. And there are resources out there now the small business loan assistance, the paid leave. There are a number of different resources and that EDs need to assess. Would it be better to take staff to half time now so that we can go for a longer period of time and be ready to ramp back up when people are able to focus on the virtual learning that will need to go on if this is, goes on forever? There's so many scenarios and we don't know what's going to happen. And the strength of our partnerships with one another is going to enable us to respond in the timely manner to those changes as we see them.
0: Madeline, if you think about all the history of, of your experience working with the sector, working with individuals, working with companies, foundations, what's your favorite example of generosity? If you had to choose one or something out there that you've seen that just goes beyond the descriptive of just giving, but what is, what is that favorite example of generosity for you?
1: I can't say this is my favorite, but it's my top of mind right now. And that is the willingness of so many of our business partners to lift the paywall, to say, let me see what I can do on a pro bono basis, to stick with and support clients that they've worked with over the years and even nonprofits they may not have worked with before. That on that business call the other day, people were saying, How can we get the resources to these leaders? Forget whether they're able to pay or not. We know now is when they need our services. For small business, that's a scary situation when you don't know what the cash flow is going to look like, just like a nonprofit. And So I see it happening at all levels. You know, people in the front of the line are saying, don't worry about paying for programming. We'll get your kids what they need, or don't worry about paying for food. Just take it. And then those that are supporting the organizations that are giving the food and the programming away are saying, don't worry about paying us for technical advice and financial services. And, you know, our government is doing a great job saying, we're not going to shut you down. Businesses are foregoing rent. To me, I think one of the most important things that we do is that we learn from the 08 response, which protected our most valuable companies and institutions and government. I mean, and corporations, the automobile industry, but that did not necessarily protect and lift up small business and individuals. One of the most difficult parts of this pandemic for me is that literally on Friday, March 6th, we concluded three days of 600 leaders from across South Carolina talking about racial equity in a way that I have not seen in my 50 plus years of living in this state. And I came out of that event believing that now was the time for us to really be able to make change that would allow racial equity in a state that has never, ever, ever considered that. When this pandemic hit, the struggle with, oh my gosh, I guess we're not going to get to work on that now. It's going to be put off was my first reaction is that, oh, we're going to have to struggle with business and staying alive and all these things. And there's no way we can do that kind of work now. And then I pulled back and said, no, we have to find the way to do that kind of work now. We have to find the way to make sure that all of the crisis interventions and strategies and scenario planning, that we look at all that through a racial equity lens and that we think about how we can use these resources to lift up and create opportunity for those that have not had opportunity before, regardless of the pandemic. So that's a big hope for me. That's not a story of generosity, but that's a big hope I want to share with my colleagues and hopes that we can find ways to do that. I'm glad you mentioned about the
2: summit and that topic and the outcome, because I thought about that with you and the reaction. And I wonder how much of what got discussed should be becoming organically what it needed to be anyway through this work because of the exposure of crisis.
1: Well, probably the most important speaker we had was Heather Hackman on Facing Whiteness. And we will be sharing the recording of that session in another few weeks when things have calmed down. But I think for the white majority, which the nonprofit sector in South Carolina, my guess is 60 percent white women. For those of us, you know, who were brought up not really knowing our country or our state's full history and the systems of advantage that are built in to everything from lending to program participation, to be aware of what the systems really look like so that we can begin to dismantle them. I think that was so important. I think that's where the pandemic will hopefully do for some of those underlying systems and equity, like the fact that we don't have internet service in rural areas because our major corporations don't find it profitable to serve those areas. That's a change that needs to be made. I think what you're talking about is
2: what is the definition of philanthropy. And that's what we focus on as a firm and just straight from the Greek love of humanity. That's why we do this. And when we talk about generosity, as this podcast theme is generously speaking, that's what are the stories that we want to share in, in our sector and beyond about why we all do this work. We thank you for all that you're doing to help advocate for that and to spread that positive thinking, the reassurance
1: at the same time
2: as addressing major challenges.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for the partnership. As I said, we couldn't do it without y'all. We're such a small staff. And to all of your listeners, volunteers, board members, the amazing professional staff that sometimes work for pennies and work long hours and under difficult situations to deliver the services that our nonprofits think are critical for our communities. You know, it's an honor for me to work with those folks. And I feel really hopeful that we can help them as they're out doing the really heavy lifting. And thank you for helping us help them.
0: Madeline, thank you so much for being with us on Generously Speaking. You've been listening to Generously Speaking from Capital Development Services, trusted advisors in philanthropy and executive search since 1984. Look for our podcast episode notes at capdev.com slash podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn.